everyone. Welcome back to the I Should Totally Be Dead Right Now podcast, where we tell true stories of survivors of true crime, natural disasters, and everything else in between. How's it going, Michelle? Woo! Good. That's good. It's like spring is in the air, and I right. could not be happier for it. <laughs> <laughs> it was Easter just yesterday. Yes. You do yes. anything fun? Ate a chocolate no. rabbit by yourself? Gonna, yeah. That happened. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I'm going to say that we made dim sum. Ooh. Anyway, sorry. (laughs) Delicious. So this is the first year in forever that we haven't done our big, like, extreme Easter egg hunt. Oh, right. So we're a little sad about that. And, you know, having a low Easter instead of a giant party is a bit of a, you know, takes a little getting used to. But here we are. Yeah, and that's okay. <laughs> yeah. You have a no, new okay. new normal, right? Yes, that's right. How's your weather in oh. sunny California? Oh, we're now sort of relocated. Yes, I'm relocated <laughs> in Cali, which is actually when I first came here, it was actually raining a lot. Uh, <laughs> and thunder and lightning and I was just like, what's this is just Oregon, but yeah. Now it's sunny every day so far, so it's been yeah. nice. Yes. I do really like the nice weather in California. Mm-hmm. That was like one of my favorite parts. And one of the worst things about moving to Oregon when I first moved to Oregon was going from California where it's yeah. sunny just about every single day. Mm-hmm. And my first winter in Oregon, there was a 120 day record of zero sun breaks. So the <laughs> sun came out not not one time for three months and so i love it i was a little depressed yeah <laughs> i got used no. to it so i love the rain it was nice but no this the sunny weather with the palm trees it's like oh this is nice this is delightful yeah. as it turns yeah. out <laughs> all right what are we drinking today michelle uh we're drinking the drunken bunny flash murder style if we go. Because uh turns out we had a little bit of a hard time finding strawberry daiquiri mix. So what we did is you, you take about a cup and a half or so of lemonade and then you do probably it's like almost three shots. This is for two drinks though. So mm-hmm. don't be freaked out. A cup and a half of lemonade, three ounces of white rum, which I thought would be gross. Turns out it's not. And then um, we put, I put strawberry puree. Caitlin did it, as I like to say, murder style, where she (laughs) modeled up her strawberries and smashed them. (laughs) And and then you just mix that up, pour it over ice, and then add some fresh lemon and some fresh strawberry, or yeah, fresh strawberries. Mm -hmm. Have a few peeps in there for (laughs) Easter style, and you're good to go. It turns out it's delicious. Yeah. Yeah. I've been drinking quite a few of them, as it turns out. I made all of them for myself, and so I've got a nice little mixer full ready nice. to go. You're welcome, Caitlin. And the rum, like I like I said, I thought rum and lemonade would not be good. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> I enjoyed it. Yeah, it's great. All right, are we ready? Yeah, fuck yeah, we're ready. Okay. Let's do it. This story is about Michael Bispin. Michael Bispin? Yeah, B-I-S-P-I-N-G. Great. I'm not going to try to say it again. I'm not either. So 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 Michael, Michael, people may recognize his name actually because he was a UFC fighter. Oh, okay. 
so but he's in the uk so yeah. i'm not know. into i'm not into fighting so my god joel probably knows who he is and yeah our friend paul probably totally knows who he is knows his record knows <laughs> all about his career the whole right. thing he's probably watched like three documentaries about him michael <laughs> actually wrote a book about oh. his career in the ufc and it's called quitters never win my life in the ufc so this story is actually in the book of his survival of one instance. So I thought it was really interesting. I'm okay, going to read so it. Is this from like an actual fight then with this particular story is from, or is it a different something? It's a different something. So this is before his UFC career, before he even started fighting. Okay. Um, check out his book if you want to read more about his career and other, he has another survival story in there as well. So this poor guy has been through oh. Perhaps part one of two. Yeah, right? All right. So Michael is 17, and we're in Bodlands in the the UK. Okay. It's a town. I have no idea where that is, but that's okay. I don't know either. It's 1996, Mm. and Michael is making some money, so he's looking to move out of the family home. So he shares the home with his mom, and it's a total of eight people in this house. Okay, so yeah, he's ready to break out. Yeah. So he finally wants some independence, some privacy. So he's looking around and he found a fully furnished apartment for 67 quid a week, which comes out to $85 US a week. Okay. So that's like $340 a month. Well, I'm thinking back to like in 96, I was also 17 (laughs) and making, I think I had just gotten a raise. So I was making like six bucks an hour and feeling- amazing about myself right i'm on my way up that's (laughs) could you even imagine working for six dollars an hour now anyway sorry go back (laughs) back to michael so it was on the edge of town and furnished with funky plastic furniture from the 1980s but he didn't care it was he was ready you do not care at that age you're on your own (laughs) are you kidding me so this town of bodlands is pretty much everyone entered their home from the main street. So there's no lanes. There's no main. Oh, wait. There's no lanes. Literally... No streets. Just one street. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. it's literally like a one horse town kind of situation. Exactly. Yeah. So no one's <laughs> driving through town. You're walking pretty much. Michael's apartment, though, was in the back alley behind a green grocer's, which is like someone who sells fresh vegetables, fresh, you know. All that fun stuff. All the produce. Yeah, exactly. So when you go into his apartment, I'm going to lay it out a little bit. First is a vestibule, which is, uh, I don't know. It's just like before you go in. It's a little hallway. Yeah. Yeah. It's not quite a mudroom, but it's like kind of like a foyer or something where you walk in and there it is. That's kind of my understanding. And then when you turn to the right, there is a kitchen, which is like a little rectangle area. Okay. But it's separated from the living room by a very 80s style door with clear glass held in a wooden frame. So kind of like a so, French door. Is that? No, it's just one door. Okay. But it just right. has glass in it. So you can see into the living room from the kitchen. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. This is going to be important later. So. Okay. Just... Got it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not just laying out his house. You know? What are you doing, Caitlin? Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> and then. uh in the living room, there is a steep staircase that has a bedroom upstairs uh, and a bathroom. 
Okay, great. Okay. And there's a bedroom downstairs as well. Oh, two bedroom. Oh my goodness. Right. Exactly. So life is great. He's living on his own. It's April, you know, so spring, you know, it's coming. Yeah. So who cares that the entrance is in a dark alleyway with no lights and who cares that the bedroom is so low to the ground, you know, the bedroom window, I mean, you know, Mm. who cares? It's fine. It's great. Uh, 17. Life is amazing. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. exactly. So it's actually now July. So he's been there for a few months and it's Saturday night and he's out drinking with friends. This is, I know. This is the second day of drinking, so he's a little uh, drunk and a little hungover from the day before. Oh dear! So, so since Been it was there, a t- Michael, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so since it was a two-day bender, he wasn't about to stay out late. You know, he's a responsible seventeen-year-old. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> so Time he to gets get some sleep exactly. So he gets home around eleven twenty p.m. Okay. okay. So he goes to the kitchen, he grabs a Foster's beer from the fridge, and he sits down on the couch. Uh, he relaxed for the evening, I guess. Yeah. He actually starred in a movie. He kicked off his shoes, socks, and jeans, and thought if he dozed off on the couch for a little bit, he'll have enough energy to make it up those stairs to bed. Okay. <laughs> it is now 11.45, so about 20 minutes have gone by since he got home. Since he got home with him. Yeah. Got onto the couch with his fosters. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So he doesn't know if he actually was asleep, but he hears a faint tapping and his eyes flicker open. He sits up and listens, but couldn't hear anything. So he started to watch the movie again. But then he could hear knocking again. Hmm. He gets up and turns down the TV to listen. He waits a few minutes and he hears the knocking again. It was very faint, but definitely knocking. He sits there and waits. It's like a, it stops for a few minutes at a time, but continues on. So when oh. the knocking happened again, it was loud enough to know that it was coming from the kitchen. Oh, so he, someone was in the kitchen? What? No. What's happening? No, no, no. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like someone was outside the kitchen? Yes. Yes. Okay. So <laughs> he opens a glass door, holding the pane in so it doesn't rattle from the frame. Michael knew something was not right about the situation. So he left the lights off and crawled towards the back door to listen to the knocking. Oh, God, this is like stressing me out. (laughs) (laughs) It's pitch black. And then the knocking happened again. You could hear his heartbeat in his chest. Yeah, no shit. I can hear my heartbeat (laughs) in my chest right now. Oh, finally, he shouts, who is it? Silence. Then a voice muffled saying, John. Michael says, who? He says, John. Michael doesn't know a John, which is weird because I feel like John's a very popular name. I know. I was like, who doesn't know a John? (laughs) (laughs) But after more silence, Michael stood up and turned on the kitchen light. The light made everything look normal and he seemed a little more relaxed. Michael asked again, who is it? The voice says, it's me. It's John. Now sounding assertive and a bit annoyed. Mm. Michael unlocks the door and opens it. Thinking he's about to see a friend of a friend or someone he may know, he just sees darkness. There's no face, just a giant dark figure. Then Michael is pepper sprayed in the face. What? Yeah. His eyes are now welded shut. He stumbles into the kitchen. Snot is pouring from his nose and his throat is burned and continuously coughing. Oh my God. 
He was completely disoriented, but he knew he had to open his eyes to see what was happening. So he he first his eyes open with his finger and thumb just so he can get one eye open to see what was happening. Oh God, he probably couldn't even see anything with that. <laughs> I know. Yeah, it was. Ugh. I've never been pepper sprayed, but I can only imagine how awful yeah, it, it doesn't is. Look good. I've not been pepper sprayed either. Now inside his kitchen, a man over 6'3 is dressed all in black from head to toe, even with a black hood with eyes and the mouth cut out. So that's all you can see is just his eyes and mouth. The the intruder is now dousing the kitchen with gasoline against the walls, the kitchen counters, the floor. Oh my God, what? (laughs) The intruder looks at Michael and sees that he has one eye open and can see him. So then he douses Michael head to toe with gasoline as well. Oh my God. <laughs> I know. Who is this person? Michael screamed for him to stop and ask who he was. Then yeah. Trudor said nothing. Looking directly at Michael, the man pulls out a box of matches. Oh my he God. struck one against the box, but it snapped because he did it too hard. So he took out another one. And again, it snapped. Now he's taking out a third one and Michael's out. He runs into the living room and flips on the light and reaches to a landline calling 999, which is our 911. Right. Oh my God. But he is not taking his eyes off of that kitchen door. So this is how the call to the emergency services goes. Okay. Emergency services, help, please send police. There's someone in my house trying to kill me. Calm down. Do you need police, ambulance, or fire department? Please send someone. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Sir, I understand you are Michael Stop listening because the intruder is now only six paces away from him with a smile on his face watching him. Is this just like a serial killer? Is like, (laughs) okay, I'm sorry. (laughs) He's here right now. Sir, it is important that you, and then Michael hangs up because he wasn't getting anywhere with this emergency person so he speed dials his friend mike michael yells at him to call police because they're not believing him and there's an intruder inside his house trying to kill him michael turns to look at the intruder and the intruder is smiling just watching him but as he's talking to michael what this that's creepy as hell oh i know but as he's continually talking to mike he looks at the intruder and he stops smiling and he turns his head And then he reaches into his jacket pocket and pulls out a lump hammer, which is just like a bigger hammer, like almost a mallet. I see. Yeah. Like a sledgehammer almost. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So then Michael hangs up and runs back into the kitchen and he slams that door, that glass door, and he jams his bare foot against the doorframe and presses his weight against it. The mass intruder presses his forehead against the glass and their faces are less than a foot apart. Oh, smiling again at Michael. What is with this fucking <laughs> smiling? I'm sorry. This I don't so know. Creepy. It is creepy. Continuing to smile, he lifts up the hammer and starts tapping on the glass. Mm. Michael starts yelling, who the fuck are you? What do you want? Michael's mind is racing on who this can be. He starts going through everyone he may know. Then one name pops into his head. A 30-something lout who had several run-ins with him, the town bully, the person Michael decked with a punch earlier that month, Bruno. Bruno. Mm-hmm. So Michael asked Bruno, then the intruder stepped away, not smiling anymore. Michael is now flushed with anger. 
This man is no practice killer, no horror movie madman, just a dude that he beat up before. So Michael swings the door open, ready for the fight of his life. Because he's did it before, you know, he can do it again. That's right. You're in for it, Bruno. So when he opens the door, the intruder looks at him and then runs. He leaves the house. (laughs) Oh my god. Michael, barefoot, with only boxers and a shirt on, took off after him. He couldn't keep up with him, though. His feet were ready, already raw and red from running on pavement with his bare feet. So he got away. Hmm. So Michael's friends showed up, and Michael went back to his friend's place. He didn't want to be in that apartment alone again. Hmm. So they called police again, and Michael told them who it was, told them where he lived and everything. So the cops arrived to his his friend's place and they radioed the info to other colleagues to go check it out and they continued to take his statements in between of him like washing his eyes out because he still was pepper sprayed oh god yeah of course i forgot kind of after all this other commotion <laughs> the police told michael that the crime scene experts went to his apartment and they looked over his place and confirmed that gasoline was found everywhere but they did find something else that was disturbing mm. The intruder was inside his apartment earlier in the day. Oh, what? There was... <laughs> like just way creepier. There was evidence of a forced entry through the bedroom window that was in the alleyway. And the doorbell wire was cut. They think he was trying to cut the phone wire, but cut the doorbell one uh, instead. That is probably why the intruder was smiling at him when he was on the phone, because he thought he cut the cord. But when he realized... That he was talking to someone, he stopped smiling, and he knew he messed up. Oh, shit. He's like, that's why I didn't come to the door first, because I had to resort to knocking. Exactly right. Dang, Michelle. Oh, is that right? I was just kidding. (laughs) No, even the quiet knocking at the door, he probably tried to ring the doorbell, but it didn't work. Police radioed back, telling him, though, that this person was not Bruno. What? Within minutes of Michael telling them the address, they went to Bruno's house. Bruno lives miles across town, and they found him asleep in bed. And his roommate said that they were both there the entire evening, and there's no way that he could have ran all the way back to that house in time. Our assailant is still unknown. Mm-hmm. Oh. So the cops were not sure, but put forward a theory. They think everything was going wrong for him. The doorbell was out, so... He had spent a long time trying to get Michael to answer the door with the soft knocks. Every time he knocked, he risked being spotted by a neighbor. He didn't Mm -hmm. blind Michael for long because Michael forced his eyes open. The matches didn't light. He alerted emergency services. The intruder knew they were coming. So really, as a criminal, he just sucked. Yeah, yeah. The whole thing was just falling apart. Everything was going wrong (laughs) because he sucks. So once he said someone else's name that gave him an out and he took it, so he ran, thinking, I'm free. He thinks it's someone else. Yep. Mm -hmm. Okay. So Michael never stepped into his apartment by himself again. The next day, Michael and his friend collected all his stuff and he moved back with his mom until he could find another place. Hmm. He still gets chills thinking about that night, but never had nightmares, thankfully. It was one month after the incident. He got word from a credible source of who the intruder was. Ronnie, a well-known psychopath around town who believed that he had a reason to dislike Michael. 
But Ronnie wasn't just a local tough guy. He was a violent criminal. Yeah. Literally, that night that someone told him it could be Ronnie, he sees Ronnie at a pub. And he matches the height and bulk of the guy who was in his apartment. Oh, gosh. So what does Michael do? He approaches him, of course. Oh my God. Again, uh, we are different people. <laughs> <laughs> Michael says, all right, John. The man turns around. He recognizes him. But Michael couldn't read anything else on his expression. Hmm. I said, are you all right, John? He said, my name's Ronnie. I know your name is Ronnie, but you say it's John some nights, don't you, John? They look at each other for a few seconds, and Michael was ready to fight. You're nuts. Up in UFC. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right? You're nuts, Ronnie says at last, and turned away and talked to his mates again. But as Michael walked away, he could feel Ronnie's eyes darting back towards him. After 20 years, Michael still thinks about that night, and now he's about 85% that Ronnie was the one that was the intruder. So, like, Ronnie never got arrested or anything like that so he said that he never heard from police ever again after that night he thought it'd be a bigger deal that someone tried to kill him in a small town and that was 17 years old but he never got a follow-up from the police mm. so they're back teenagers no one likes them that's <laughs> what happens sorry I guess. <laughs> yeah God. that does suck like yeah. i feel like yeah that probably is a big deal to have someone try to kill you in a small town especially with gas and stuff like oh yeah you know i don't know that just takes the whole situation to like a whole nother level that you were gonna light them on fire well it's all premeditated he went there earlier to try to cut the phone wire like he he was trying to kill this kid like it's insane you guys could have in blouseburg or wherever the f this place was what was it called again i forget yes there (laughs) like you guys might have a serial killer like on the list you don't want to check that out a little further like nah you went back home it's fine like i (laughs) i don't that's all he said like he never heard back from the police ever again so i wonder if it's ever is it rodney is that we said ronnie ronnie okay i knew rodney didn't sound quite right (laughs) i wonder if he ever did anything more i don't know because he was already a violent already a violent criminal beforehand so i'm sure i don't know Probably. but mm. now michael only thinks it's 85 percent him he he's not sure but he's pretty positive that was the guy well and how many years later yeah so. yeah he states he came to my home in the middle of the night with a plan the element of surprise cs gas a can of gas matches a lump hammer but it was him who ran away not me damn i know and then he goes off to have a successful career in ufc so that's good well, for well him. done michael He's but i guess from anybody no well i guess there was there is also a chapter in the book about him surviving almost being kidnapped in south africa so what? i know oh my gosh. that's terrifying so check out his book guys yeah i think i want to check out his book Hmm. Oh. Hmm. yeah so good on you michael but how terrifying 17 like i had some scary run-ins when i lived alone in my apartment at 18 and i was just like mm. i yeah. don't think people that young should live on their own by themselves i know i know i moved out at 19 and like moved out of yeah. state where i had like oh yeah almost no friends or family no family i had some friends but it was like 
I think about doing that now and it's like, good thing I did it back then when I was so brave. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, I guess exactly. I moved to Ohio and you moved to California. So yeah. Kind of brave. Kind of. Yeah. yeah there we go. Here we go. Yeah. Well done. Caitlin. Look at us. Look at us. <laughs> I like how we made it about us at the end. Nailed it. <laughs> Michael just kidding don't beat me up uh, I didn't mean any of that you're amazing yes absolutely oh my goodness well good job Michael and now uh Michelle let's hear your story all right all right so um this is kind of a spring story as well Ooh. I guess it was April and then July so maybe not quite anyway it doesn't matter all right I covered it all Michelle well done well done <laughs> <laughs> so I'm taking us back to April of 2021. Oh, wow. Recent. Yeah, it it is pretty recent. And we are in Rockport, Missouri. Hmm. And this story is about Brandon Leesburg, I think is how you say it. These last names, man. Lessieberg. One of those. Brandon. Yeah, a Berg. And actually, I lied. We're not in April at all. We're in May. I apologize. (laughs) Okay. I was thinking we were in April before, and then I realized I found a better date. So... (laughs) Okay, on to Brandon's story. Enough about the date. So Brandon was out on his farm with his two sons, Louie, who was six years old, and Everett, who was three years old. So they had just finished feeding all the cows and were getting ready to call it a day. So they were kind of all heading in to the house. All three of them were walking along and Brandon stopped to shut the gate while his two sons sort of walked ahead of him. Okay. And they went ahead to um to the local to the nearest water spigot because they were going to get a little drink of water. And so uh the spigot was on top of an old well and at that point they had no idea that the board covering the well had over time grown completely brittle and decayed. So unfortunately, when Louie, our little six-year-old, stepped on top of it to quench his thirst, he fell right through, (gasps) like right straight into the well. And so Brandon is kind of like, looks up, he finished locking the gate and he's like, uh, Everett, where is your brother? And little three-year-old Everett is like, he fell in the hole. (laughs) And Brandon is like, oh shit. Mm-hmm. Louie can't hardly swim. He's down in a well and he could like actually sort of hear him like gurgling and <gasps> struggling to sort of stay afloat. So he did the first thing he thought of and he jumped into the well. Oh my gosh. <laughs> He's like, forget it. So he went in and the well is uh, 70 feet deep and 24 inches wide. So it's like just two feet wide. Wow. Fortunately, there's like a pipe that goes along the entire length of the well. Hmm. So Brandon was actually able to hang on to that pipe and sort of slow his descent down to the 70 foot bottom. Wow. Okay. Afraid just jumping in, he's going to crush his son, you know, and his mm. son is not going to have problems anymore because now we got new problems. Um, <laughs> That sound that was insensitive. The way you worded that was this awful. I want to kill myself. Yeah, God. I don't. I don't oh, even yeah. know what to say. Anyway, we, 
<laughs> he slowed his descent so he wouldn't crush his son. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, anyway, God, I've I'm done. He's a storyteller. <laughs> yeah, the asshole storyteller is what it is. Hey, you're truthful, God, man. He's doing this heroic thing, and I just make it sound weird. So anyway, oh. so Brandon hits the bottom, and he hits the water. And he actually doesn't hit the bottom of the well, but he hits the water at the bottom. And it is freezing cold. Mm. So, you know, if you think about May, it's probably had been snowing all winter, you know, and so that's probably a lot of underwater water that is just really, really cold. He like was able to sort of pop his head up out of water. He's freezing, but he grabbed Louie and tried to like push him up. And oh. so he could get up and out of the water because he okay. knew Louis was, of course, completely scared, panicking, and also can't swim. So we right. want to get him up and out of the water, out of the freezing water. So, and knowing that, you know, it could only be so long before hypothermia set in, he really was all about saving his son. Right. More than himself. So he was able to get uh, Louis hoisted onto his chest, and then Brandon was able to wedge his legs sort of along the back of the wall to sort of, he was able to hold himself up towards the top of the water. So, and then okay. on top of him, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, Brandon's like half of his body was still submerged. Okay. There was really kind of nothing he could do about that. So could he and touch so the Louis, bottom? No, neither one of them no. could touch the bottom. Okay. So he was uh, treading water and right. then just sort of wedged himself up into the side of the well. I see. Um and Louis's like, all right, dad, you can get us out of the well now. Aww. And Brandon was like, we got, there's no way we can climb out. The pipe that he had held onto on the way down was like far too slippery. Mm. It's like every time he tried to kind of get his way up and out of there, he would just fall back down and, you know, get them both soaking wet again. And so he'd have to wedge them both back up. And, you know, so that was all he could do was just kind of, wait and hope for the best right and so everett our little three-year-old up at the top sort of pokes his head over and is <laughs> like are you guys down there and so brandon yells to him he's like everett you have to be a big boy now and you have to save us so you need to run to the road and stand by the mailbox until someone stops and oh. then you need to tell them that we need help and so he's like okay dad <laughs> Like and just does what he says. I know. Are you kidding me? So cute. Aww. So, so Everett goes. And so minutes are going by. Poor Louis is completely shivering. And he's just continuing to keep his back arched and his legs wedged against the side of the well to try to keep his son up. So five minutes go by. Ten minutes go by. And there's no sign of Everett. And Brandon's like, oh, my God. Now he's also worried about his poor little three-year-old son who is sent to the road. You know, <laughs> try to find help. Right. So finally, after it, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes or so, Everett's little head pops back over. <laughs> and he was like, Daddy, are you still in the hole? And, you know, Brandon's like, yes. Did, were you able to get help? And he's like, no. Like, oh, he's like, that's okay, honey. Can you, you know, can you go try again? Can you go back out and wave to anyone who drives by? 
And he's like, okay, daddy. And off he goes. Oh my God. <laughs> so I know. Little freaking three-year-old is the cutest little boy ever. Aww. So about 15 minutes later, Christy and Mark McKinney, who are nearby farmers, drive by. And they notice little Everett standing, you know, a little three-year-old standing on the side of the road is pretty unusual. And so, and he's waving. So they pull over and he was like, are you okay? And he's like, my daddy's in a hole. And so they got Everett into the truck and they all drove onto the farm and all the while now calling 911. Oh, wow. Fortunately, they listened to this three-year-old, you know, with complete faith. Yeah. So, and then, um, so Mark dials 911 and then Christy dials another neighbor and it was like, we got, we need help. So Christy got a hold of Dan Affin, who then ran to his barn. He got a really thick 85 foot rope and then him and his son, Ryan, who was 13, sped off to the farm to go try to save Brandon and Louie. So they drive over there, they get out of their pickup, they sprint to the well, and they're like, Brandon, can you hear us? We're going to send a rope down to you. And Brandon was like, great. You know, he said, okay, I'll send Louie up first. They were like, what? And because no one had realized, they all thought it was just Brandon who had fallen into the well. There was also Big Brother in the well. Mm -hmm. They immediately just sent the rope down and then... Brandon was able to sort of tie the rope around uh, Louis's chest, like under his armpits, just kind of a one tie. And we're like, okay, pull him up now. And so they started hauling him up and they're like, God, this little boy, this little six-year-old is so heavy. Like what is going on? And so they just like gave a really hard tug and something kind of broke free. And they were able to hoist Louis the rest of the way up. And what had happened was, is there was wires that had wrapped all around his arm. And somehow Louis had gotten entangled in the well's pump and its wiring. Oh my gosh. So he had gotten like his arm kind of stuck into all this wiring. And so that's what he was like also bringing up all of the... <laughs> all this entanglement oh with my him. gosh and so they like yanked him out and it sort of tugged all this like you know all these wires yeah. with them oh and so yeah they were like oh but they're like you're out now buddy you're safe and so um they untangled all the wires from around his arm and then they rushed him over to the pickup to dan's pickup and they mm-hmm. They put him in as many sweatshirts as they could find, you know, amongst them all. Mm-hmm. And then the heater on high and just Aww. kind of in the car, you know, to try to warm yeah. up or waiting for, you know, ambulances and things to get there. So, but now they got to figure out how to get Brandon out of the well. He was unfortunately just a big guy and he was too heavy to pull out of the well, which is that one rope. So it seemed to them that waiting for emergency crews might seem like a wise idea, but they knew that that well was freaking cold and that they needed to get their friend out of there. They're like, they got to figure it out. So all the neighbors kind of got together and had a little meeting and they decided to use the foundation of an old windmill to sort of work as a hoist. They put one end of the rope down into the well 
Brandon was able to tie it around himself, kind of similar style around his chest, and yelled, he's ready to go. And then they put the other side of the rope around this old windmill, and then all five of the friends and neighbors kind of got together and started pulling on the other end of the rope. Okay. So they sort of had a rudimentary pulley system, I guess, mm, yeah. they worked out. So they each grabbed a portion of the rope and started pulling. And so Brandon, fortunately, was able to help by gripping that pipe and kind of also pulling himself up. Okay. And so pretty soon he could sort of see a circle of blue sky ahead of him and oh. knew he was getting to the top. I know. 70 feet down is a long ways. That like, is a very long way. Hardly fathom it. No. So they said, hang on, Brandon. And they just kept on hoisting him up. Probably about 40 some minutes after he had jumped in, he was able to come out of the well, completely cold and wet. And they were able to like haul him out. And he just got out and just completely collapsed on the ground. He was (laughs) exhausted. And then like a minute later, the first responders arrived. Oh, (laughs) But they got him out in the meantime. But pretty much other than some nasty scratches, mm-hmm. Brandon was fine. Wow. Louis, on the other hand, kind of had a little tougher time of it. Oh, I know. So he had suffered from hypothermia from being <gasps> in the well. And then he had deep, deep bruising from where the wires had entangled on his mm, arm. Right. And then he also had a punctured lung. What? Um, yeah. For, they think it was from probably the rope being around him and probably maybe that sharp tug at the end um, actually punctured a lung but he survived and he was healthy enough to return to school a week later so he recovered pretty quick I know he was probably like telling all his friends what an ordeal like you'll never believe what happened to me absolutely oh so all the rescuers have been hailed as heroes but Dan was like, nah, man, there's only one true hero here. Everett. Everett yes. Out to the road and saved everyone. That little three-year-old was the real lifesaver. Oh, my <laughs> God. Keep it up for Brandon, too, though. I mean, he yeah. just jumped in without even thinking to save Yeah. Himself. That's incredible. He's like, that's so. my kid. Gotta go save him. Yep. Luckily, a little Everett, yeah, he's like... <laughs> toddling out there yeah. oh it's so sweet so cute he was a lot better when I was three my dad worked the night shift and my mom was working during the day and he had to go pick up my sister from an elementary school and he's like wake me up after this show and I'm like okay but <laughs> did I nah. know because it's probably Blue's Clues my favorite show and just kept probably. watching it and then my mom came home and woke him up she's like where where's Alyssa and he's like oh <gasps> So my mom like had to tear into the school. This is just sitting outside alone. <laughs> Thanks, Caitlin. I know. I could eat. If they asked me to go to the road, I'll be like, okay. And if I went inside, like. Yeah, I'm going to go play with this thing. <laughs> yeah, before I got distracted. And oh, good job, Everett. Yeah. So brave for three. Oh, my so gosh. Brave. That's crazy. Smart Can little boy. Leave? Yeah. Well, and, and his neighbors all stopped. His neighbors were like, no, we're doing everything we can to yeah. help them. And we're getting it done. And so everyone is heroes. But yes, Everett is yeah. Yeah. number one. Right. <laughs> Sweet wow. little guy. He's probably cute as hell, too. Oh, you know he is. Yeah. He knows it, too. Yeah. 
She's probably got some swagger now. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. I saw the cutest little kid. He had, he had to maybe be three or four and he had on the full like cowboy hat, the oh cowboy boots, the jeans. He had a big old belt buckle on <laughs> and like clearly like a cell phone or a walkie talkie like attached to his belt. That kid had swagger. He was so walking cute. around like he fucking owned everything. <laughs> like, oh my god. So funny. You're hilarious. You're adorable. Aww. He was at a volleyball game. He was walking around the gym <laughs> like he fucking was hot shit. <laughs> That's too cute. Uh, wow. Funny. That was great though. That's super scary. But I mean, luckily Everett was there. Because if he wasn't, like, what are you... What are you going to do? Well, and I was like, I mean, my first thought was like, just the idea of jumping into a well, like with your son at the bottom. I mean, that right. is terrifying and scary. Yeah, because you don't know how far it is. Well, maybe he did. I don't know, but they're pretty It's deep. a long race. Like, yeah. I mean, doesn't, wouldn't 70 feet like practically kill you in normal life? I don't know. But who can say? He had that pipe to help save him, but oh my God, terrifying. Yeah. Between Michael and Everett and Brandon, good heavens! My my goodness, brave Ooh. young people. Yes, indeed. Oh wow, that was good. <laughs> those those were great stories. Yeah, those were well done, Caitlin. Thank you. Well done, Michelle. Yeah, nailed it. Right. <laughs> Sorry, right. I'm just kidding. I don't know what I'm saying. No, you you did great. All right. Well, we hope you guys enjoyed that uh, episode. And get your drunk bunny on that's all i'm saying <laughs> absolutely uh and well guys we're gonna see you on the next episode so we'll see you next time bye Woo, bye